Hi, and welcome to a podcast from Hope Springs Church Coventry. For more, please find us on Facebook at Hope Springs Church or on Twitter, we're at Hope Springs Cobb. Thank you and enjoy. So, we're starting a new series today. It's called What It Means to Follow Jesus. We'll be doing it for the next maybe six or seven weeks. Um, and I'm going to kind of try and do a bit of an intro. Um, an intro that kind of will hopefully give a context to everything else that everyone shares without, this is the hard bit, without stealing anyone else's thunder. Because I don't want to nick what other people are sharing as tempting as that is sometimes. Um, I, want to <coughs> I want to talk first about what it means in, in context of looking at a few scriptures about what it means to follow Jesus. But before I do that, I went to my, my new work on Friday, which is a very strange situation. I'm, I'm got a, I got a job I'm looking forward to, got it back in July, and I don't start until January, so that's kind of a very kind of weird transitional phase. Um, but we went and really enjoyed it, but we have to do one of those really awkward things that I really don't like, um, where you have to kind of go around and introduce yourself and say something about yourself and where you're from, and I, I hate them. I hate them. Um, but it also is funny because it always makes me laugh that it's kind of like I'm, I'm describing myself in probably 15 seconds to a group, group of random strangers, expecting that to be the then kind of the verification of why I am going to be good at this job almost. It's kind of like, hi, I'm Steve and I am do this and this and this and now you should believe in me enough to kind of think that I'm amazing, whatever it may be. But we sometimes do that, don't we? We sometimes do that generally, that we have this kind of set of things that we think... I've got these things that make me qualified for this. That makes sense? I'm sitting in a room and thinking, in theory, in this room right now, I'm, I'm meant to be qualified enough to, to provide a strong leadership position. And obviously, I have some things, but I'm thinking, I'm not sure I've got enough of this. That makes sense? Which is not a bad place to be in. But we do that in life. We kind of think, am I qualified enough to do this? Am I good enough at something to do this? Have I got, if I'm sitting in this kind of massive circle and we all go around and saying, um, this is me and this is what I do, am I the one that should be picked? Am I the one that kind of should be chosen? And so often in what we're talking about now, that the Bible sometimes, oh no, no, that's the wrong way, our interpretation of the Bible can sometimes give us an impression that there is certain people who are picked and certain people who are not picked. So we talk about following Jesus and we all believe, I think, that we all can follow Jesus, but perhaps we won't follow Jesus in as successful a way as the person down the road or the person that leads that church down there or the person that, that, that's seen all this stuff happen. Because our qualifications, we're sitting in the circle, I don't have as good a stuff as that person that's just introduced himself and I've got to follow them. Isn't that wonderful? I've got to follow the person just giving this amazing, articulate, no loss of voice kind of description about what they do and all that kind of stuff and that's just... It makes me feel like I'm not good enough. But the thing is, our interpretation of the Bible sometimes creates that kind of mindset that I've got to have these things to be qualified enough to be moving in that. Do you know the beautiful thing is about it? It's absolutely nothing to do with it. And even whether we consciously say, of course it's not, but subconsciously feel like it is, today I'm hoping that that kind of almost gets cut off, that that way of thinking by the Holy Spirit get, gets kind of cut away that we think actually it's nothing to do with my being qualified enough mm. it's nothing to do with my even my history however good that might be I've grown up in church all my life but it's nothing to do with the fact I've grown up in church all my life that makes me qualified nothing at all nor is it anything to do with the fact that I've never grown up in church and that it makes me qualified that, that's not the qualifying factor the qualifying factor is that, that I follow Jesus and he gives me space to follow him and he invites me. That's what qualifies. Because if we look, I did a bit of research, and it's ridiculously hard to do this. It's unbelievable. Twelve disciples. Their professions is fascinating. Because half of them have got no idea. They said they've got no idea what the professions of the disciples were before they followed Jesus. Some of them we know because they're famous. They're the ones we we talk about all the time. Peter was a fisherman. We know that because there's multiple instances where he's that's referred to and connected with. So we know he's a fisherman. Um, you have John, James, Andrew, um, all um, connected to that fishing industry because of when Jesus called them and asked them to come and follow him. You've then got potentially, potentially. Um, Bartholomew and Thomas are fishermen as well but I love the fact it's potentially because we don't know 
because there's actually not enough. We talk so often, don't we, about the 12 disciples, and, almost, and they almost become this kind of like, the 12 disciples, amazing, it's the 12 disciples. We don't know hardly anything about half of them. They're not mentioned. They're mentioned in lists, but they're not actually mentioned specifically in terms of Thaddeus did this. Thaddeus was a, one of the 12 disciples. But I would suggest that if you were to list them, most of us would forget him. Because yeah. we, don't, we don't know. But that, that's the beautiful thing about it. The, the <coughs> some of them, we speculate, there's speculation all over the place that, that Thaddeus, James and Philip were probably some kind of tradesman. Probably did something with their hands, maybe. But it's not definitive. Matthew, we know is a tax collector because it specifically mentions that. But think about Matthew in the context of what a tax collector is. Tax collectors are not popular. Tax collectors are polit- polit- politicians of the day. They're the ones that people don't like. And yet Jesus asked a tax collector to come and follow him. And actually, the actual reaction of, of, of Matthew in, in all of the Gospels is the quickest response. There's no kind of dialogue or discussion around it. It's, come follow me, and he drops everything and goes and follows him. And then takes him back into the setting he's just been in. And then Jesus gets criticised for being with tax collectors. So the fact that Matthew's response is not just immediate to follow him, but it means I'll follow you and I'll actually bring you back into the setting that I've just come from. So the point, and then you look at um, Simon the Zealot. The whole point of that is it's, is it's religious zealousy, zealousness, zealousness. It's this kind of religious Israel focus, all this kind of stuff. It, it, it's kind of, we've got, got to overthrow Rome, we've got to do all this kind of stuff. There's an enthusiasm and a passion about that that you could argue here is from a kind of very strong religious slash political setting. And Jesus calls him to follow him. You've got Judas, who again, the actual profession of Judas isn't clear of what he did before, but he, Jesus makes him the, the treasurer. And therefore, potentially, you could, could argue maybe have some involvement in finance or that kind of stuff before. Maybe it was a tax, because it doesn't say. The point being, there is vagueness. It's not that, right, follow Jesus, I've got to be a fisherman. Follow Jesus, I've got to be a tax collector. Follow Jesus, I've got to be this. It's actually, following Jesus is, is irrelevant of my background. It's irrelevant in my profession. And we know that here. But when it comes to the day-by-day, moment-by-moment thing, the battle here goes, I can't. Because of some disqualification. These guys were a hodgepodge mix of all kinds of crazy. Okay? All kinds of insecurity. All kinds of stuff they messed up in. They didn't have a clue what they were doing half of the time. But we make them saints, make them the twelve. And it kind of makes it, they're the ones that follow Jesus. Look at what they did. And we, and we pull stuff from their lives, and that's important. But it's also important to realize they were just normal, everyday people, like you and me. And yet the only thing they did is they responded to a call. Jesus said, look, come and follow me, and they did. That's what the difference was. It wasn't that they, fishermen, why is there so many fishermen? It's not because he, he saw some kind of skill in fishermen. That wasn't what it was, because we do that. I'm not going to make you fishers of men as if like, okay, I've got to be a fisherman to be a fisherman. Man. That, that's rubbish. He, he, he said, I'm going to make you a fisherman because he wanted to relate to what they knew. Mm-hmm. It, if they'd all been social workers, he'd have made some kind of relation to social workers or teachers or builders. He'd have connected to the industry they knew to kind of explain, this is what you're going to do now. Mm-hmm. It's not the fishermen with this kind of high pricing. And, and there's essentially six fishermen, maybe seven. Again, it's not because you thought, well, I needed seven fishermen, one tax collector, um, a treasurer, and then two tradesmen. I need that in my team. That's what I need in my team. There was just lots of fishermen because of where he was based. It's like he went up into Sunderland and Newcastle a number of years ago. They had lots of people building boats. doesn't mean that they're, they're kind of like, like, Jesus wants people that build boats. That's what Jesus wants. I'll go and build boats. Nothing to do with it at all. Coventry, cars. But again, it doesn't mean he wants people to build cars. He just wants people. And he's saying, look, this is where I am. These are people saying, look, come and, fo- come and follow me. And these weren't the only ones that he offered that to. So my first thing is that <coughs> this is for everybody. And a lot of what I said there isn't new. But I'm hoping the Holy Spirit takes it and just cuts away that, that, that stuff that disqualifies. Because these guys were not qualified. Their qualification came in Jesus' call. That, that's what qual- qualifies us to follow Jesus. So I want to go through a few things. And... Um, and look at some different aspects quite quickly. Um, one of the first things I want to say is that, is that we, we are in a, a culture where, 
and it's quite sad this for me where we live based on followers don't we because we have twitter we have facebook we have instagram all these things i am not particularly popular on any of, any of those social networks things whatsoever so therefore um i'm obviously not doing anything <laughs> um the i want the only fact is that it devalues the sense of it. Mm-hmm. To follow somebody is not to just hear what they've got to say. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's that. To follow somebody is to say that I give up what I have and I can follow you. The, the, that I'm deciding to lay my life down and come follow you, Jesus. That we've made follow, that I can follow Jesus by just doing certain things, um, looking at what he says and thinking, oh, that's a really good post, Jesus. I like that post today. That's fantastic. That's a brilliant tweet, Jesus. You, know, you really like nail it, don't you? In like 160 characters, you just get it right bang on. Okay? That's not what following Jesus is. But, and it's funny, but it's kind of what we do sometimes. I love the fact you say, love your enemies, Jesus. That, that, that's just brilliant. I love it. I just love it. I don't like them at all. I don't want anything to do with that person over there. Because we know following Jesus is not about going, that's a great statement. But following Jesus is about going okay, that changes my entire life. What do I do with that? The second thing, just to kind of start and give a bit of a context to what I'm giving context to, is that following Jesus is not believing Jesus. That to believe Jesus, the, the realm of darkness believes in Jesus. They don't follow him. They believe in him. Demons believe in Jesus. There's probably many, many people across the world that believe in Jesus but they don't follow Jesus because there is a distinction it obviously there's a blurring in the sense of but most of the time we believe in him and then we follow him but the disciples believed in somebody who wasn't necessarily who he was they believed in somebody this guy is kind of cool he does some stuff that's kind of different to everybody else we believe in him I'm not entirely sure who him is but I believe in him enough to follow him but the point is that believing in Jesus is different to following Jesus. There, there, there are so many times the, the profession of our faith, and it's right, I'm not knocking at all, is that, yeah, I believe in Jesus in my heart and I confess in my mouth and now I'm, now I'm a Christian. Absolutely. But actually the demonstration of that is that I follow him. And therefore that radicalizes every part of my life. Every part. Which is the difficult thing because we, we had a church of us that followed Jesus in the sense of more radically than we've ever done before. It would transform a city. Because 12 guys followed him radically and it transformed the world. The point being is we don't just need more, and I'm not knocking it, it's wonderful, but, but we hear statistics all the time about the amount of Christians being, so pe- people becoming Christians and that's great, absolutely great, I'm not knocking that at all. But actually what we need is more people to follow him. Not just more people to say, yeah, I believe in Jesus and that, then that be it. I've ticked that box now, I believe in Jesus, that, that's great, but actually I believe in him and now I'm going to follow him and that's going to transform every aspect of my life. And my intro is much, much longer than I wanted it to be, but anyway. So I'm going to go through one, two, three, four, five, like, kind of passages of scripture. Just look, looking at perhaps five different aspects of this thing. So if you just go to Luke 5. <coughs> and there's some order to this, but they're not necessarily, it's not necessarily in order. It's not like... Step one builds on step two, etc., etc. Um, Luke five. Okay, let's we'll start at verse one, and I'll try and read it quite quick. Okay, so verse one says this: So it was as the multitude pressed about him, and to hear the word of, the, of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out, to put out a, li- a little from the land. Um, when he sat in the boat and taught the multitudes from the boat, and he, and he stopped speaking and said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word I will let down my net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and the net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in another boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For for he and all all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish which they had taken. So also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, 
who were part partners with Simon and Jesus said to Simon do not be afraid from now on you will catch men so when they had brought their boats to the land they, they forsook all and followed him the first thing I want to say is he meets us exactly where we are that Jesus came into their world their fishing world he, he, he broke into their place of work he broke into their livelihood and the amazing thing about this is he breaks into our lives where we are and he catches our attention the, my prayer is not that you know Jesus because we know Jesus but my prayer is he breaks in right where we are and we just catch a glimpse of him again because they were amazed about what he'd just done enough to forsake everything think about it they've just had the biggest catch of fish probably in their lives and they gave it all up and followed him that he breaks into the moments in our everyday life and and does something that just makes go oh my goodness me look at you so expect that he will break in 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 this week break in it'll be something not that we know Jesus we we follow Jesus we we do amazing things I I am genuinely proud to be part of this community it's not a knock on what we do but but expect him to break into everyday life again that we see him to an even greater degree that goes God I just give everything up for, to, to follow you I just lay it all down I'm going to follow you because he'll reveal himself in such a way that just goes my goodness me how can I have not done it before I want to give it all for you there's a song that Sai shared yesterday about by Kim Walker Smith called "Waste It All on You," and it's just it's just beautiful. But the whole thing is about that that you just ca- capture a glimpse of him, and you just go, "I just want to I, I want to give it all. I want to waste it all. I want to want to just pour out my entire life." And that's what happens that, that we see him again, and it goes, "Wow, everything I have is yours." And that that's where following Jesus starts. And sometimes it's not that I follow Jesus and I stop. It's that I follow Jesus and actually now I'm just going to follow you even closer. I'm going to give up even more. I'm going to lay, lay down my life even more to follow you. But, that it's that he breaks into our everyday. Our, our fishing that's not been great. Our school day that's been a bit pants. Our work day that's been a bit rubbish or boring. He breaks into those moments. Because these, these guys hadn't had a good fishing day. It wasn't like Jesus turned up when they had a good fishing day. He turned up just on a, a bad day. But he broke in. And it's the same now. We can't just make it about there. And then. That's what he did for them. That's not true. He did it for them, which means he does it for us. That he breaks into those days and transforms our perspective of who he is. That that causes us to go, God, I give it all again. I thought I'd given it all already. I genuinely feel like I... Over the summer, I've made, I've made some decisions and some calls that have been tough for me. And it makes me feel like, God, I'm just laying my entire life down. I genuinely feel like that. But I know in six months' time, I'll go, my goodness me, I'm laying my whole life down. It doesn't mean it wasn't genuine here. It just means what I saw was different to here. It's like it just unfolds again. And the key is, in those moments, am I willing to go, yeah, everything. And that's hard. That, that's not easy. So the first thing is that he meets you where you are and he, he, he reveals himself in a way that goes wow, it's going to be pretty hard for me to say no right now. Just go to Luke 14. This, may, this probably isn't going to be the kind of message that we walk away from today and go, oh, that, that, that was lovely, I feel warm inside. Okay, I hope you feel warm inside. But it'll be one that kind of goes, okay, that, that's tough and that's challenging. Because if we don't feel it's tough and challenging, we've missed the point. Because it should change everything. Yeah. and it should change everything almost daily that it's kind of like wow I'll just do it again um, so Luke 14 I'm not going to read the whole of this but um, <clears throat> verse we'll start at verse 25 Luke 14 25 now great multitudes went with him and he turned and said to them if anyone comes to, just look at that I, I, I love him multitudes so what's he trying to do he's trying to thin the crowd how, how, how many churches do that Masses, multitudes, and I'm going to try and thin the crowd. Mm. We want to big the crowd, but Jesus tries to thin the crowd, not because he wants to get rid of people, because he wants people to follow him, not just a multitude. He's bothered about them following him, not a multitude. Mm. Doesn't mean we don't want big crowds. That's not what I mean. But I want big crowds of people that follow him, not big crowds of people just that are big crowds of people. Um, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, 
even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That's what he does. Like, come on then, okay, you're following me, you're, you're with me, this is what you've got to really do. That he challenges to the very core of it. He's not preaching hatred. We know Jesus doesn't preach hatred. He's preaching a message that says, look, you follow me, everything else becomes second place. Everything else becomes second place. It doesn't mean you go and now try and hurt your mother or father or hate them. It means that it becomes second place. It means that if you're following me, that's what you're doing. Other things might have to be forsaken in some ways. Other things might have to be dropped. And it's that radical. And we're not comfortable with that. That makes us go... Theologically, it makes my mind go, okay, there must be a more kind of logical explanation about what he's saying here. There's not. He's saying, look, this is it. You follow me, everything else goes by the wayside. Doesn't mean it's ruined, doesn't mean it's cast off, but it means I'm first place, and that becomes the first point of contact. That becomes the first thing. And he goes on even further. He doesn't even just stop there. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he is enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundations, he is not able to finish, um, and all who see him begin to mock, saying, um, this man began to build and wasn't able able to finish it's a great mockery that isn't it anyway. um, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely bad. Um, but what king going, going to make war against another, another king does not sit down and first consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000 or else while the, while, while the other is still a great way off he sends a delegation and asks for, and asks for considerations of peace so likewise wherever of you does not forsake all he cannot be my disciple it's that strong. It's the points where I go, okay, it means all. It means that if God goes, and I've found this over the summer holidays, God goes, right, and you know it, you know when you know it, because you sit there and God goes, I'd like just to do this, and you're like, no. And you don't want to say no, so you kind of make up some kind of rationale about why he doesn't really mean that, or why he means it in some other way. But what he's getting at is going, look, I want you to do this. And you're like, no, I don't want to do that. That's all right. So do anything else, but not, not that. And I find when I'm saying that, it's like it becomes even more intense. It's like, this is like, okay, no, I don't want to do that. I'm all right, thanks. And it just burns. And I don't mean to burn in the Bible, but it kind of draw, draws our attention. But that, that's what forsaking all is. It's not me going, well, I, I don't want anything to do with you anymore, Susie, or Zachary Oliva. I'm not going to have any attention to you at all. It's just about Jesus. That, that's where it gets abused. But it is about going, God, you... You direct that way, I give it all. You prompt that, I give it all. And that's more difficult. Because it's like going, if you tell me or you direct me or I feel a sense of this is what you're like and therefore this is what I'm going to do, no matter what it makes me look like. If I look like an idiot, I look like an idiot. Because I've given up the right to look good. Because I'm following you. I've given up the right to kind of be, be the wise one because I'm following you. And it... It's that, that, that's what forsaking all is. It's not ignoring our families and not providing for them. It's not kind of saying, I don't care about this. It's about going, look, you say it, I do it. It's something you did, I'll do that. You've got it all. You have everything. You have access to everything. Nothing is pinned down. And that's tough because the things we want to pin down are the things we value. And that reveals something. So if God presses in, and I, I'm not, not, not doing doing this to be inflammatory but if God presses in on my finances and I want to pin it down that tells me something about my finances it tells me actually I'm more bothered about my finances than what you're saying and yet I can then go well they don't give their finances but that's perhaps because finances aren't an issue and if God went give some money they're like okay that's fine here's some money but for me it might be no I'm not giving any money I've just given this or my car I love my new car am I willing to go God, like, I'm going to give you car away to such and such. Am I willing to do that? Or am I going to go, actually, God, that, that's not a very sensible decision, is it, right now? Let's be honest, okay? But the point is, am I willing to do that? Is there space in my life where I'm going to go, yep, yeah, that, that's fine? And it's that kind of attitude. It's that kind of mentality. It doesn't mean we have nothing. It doesn't mean that we don't have possessions. It just means that those possessions don't have us. The, there's an open-handedness that goes, God, you've got it all. You say something you've got it you've got my reputation you've got my money you've got my um, relationships you've got everything you say it I'll do it that's what forsaking all is and that is the the point perhaps that if we get suddenly life takes on a whole new dimension I live with an open hand and go God it's, 
is absolutely yours. My entire life. If what you tell me to do leads to my death, am I willing to do it anyway? And that, when that sinks in, goes, my goodness me. Because he is, he is good, he is kind. But as Lion, Witch in the Wardrobe, I can't remember who it is, says it. Say again. Who is it that says it in there? No, but it, Lion, Witch, it's Lucy that, that's been spoken to. And they're talking about Aslan. If you've never seen Lion, Witch, you've got to watch it. It's a great film. But he's talking about Aslan and, and, and she says um, something like, is he, is he kind? He's like, oh, he's kind, but he's not safe. He's not safe. And Jesus isn't safe. My schedule, my plans, my possessions are not safe. If I'm genuinely following Jesus. A message that preaches that is not one that gets it. That stuff's not safe anymore. It's kind. He is good and he is love. And he will never, ever, ever harm us in any way, shape or form. But it doesn't mean that my life is, is safe in the sense of safe of me giving something up yeah. and sowing something there. It doesn't mean that he's going to not want to heal me. That's not what I mean at all. He does that. We know that. But it means that am I willing to give up anything for him? Am I willing to sow down my life for him? Because he's kind and he's love and he's great, but he's not, he's not safe. My diary isn't safe anymore. My schedule isn't safe anymore. My possessions aren't safe anymore. And if I develop an attachment to those things, I've missed, I've missed the point. Okay. Um, I was going to look at Mark 8, but we've kind of taught... No, 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 no. Let's go to Mark 10. Let's go to Mark 10. Verse 17. This is one of my favourite passages of scripture and I talk about this constantly. So I'm not going to do the whole thing again. It's the rich and ruler. Um, the rich and ruler sees something he likes in Jesus' relationship with children and wants it. Okay, We can see something in Jesus and go, actually I want that. That's what I want. Look at that person's life. I, I sit there sometimes and look at people in the past. Like I've been reading about um, a- Amy Semple McPherson and... and John G. Lake and go, God, I want that. I want to move like that. I want to see that happen. And we do that. We go, God, I want that. And then he goes and does this. Okay? Because that, that, that's what's happened. We, we see it and go, God, I want that. And then in verse 21, he says this. Then Jesus looking at him. So imagine this. Imagine this is me and you. And go, God, I want that in my life. And it, it, it's noble. I want the extremes of society from this city in our community I want that and therefore Jesus is going okay that's fine okay and he does this and looking at him loved him and said to him one thing you lack go your way and sell whatever you have and give it to the poor and you and you will have treasure in heaven and come and take up your cross and follow me it's not about money there money is the issue for the rich young ruler hence the name rich young ruler but he he, he, he goes okay Steve right this then you're not suddenly going to have the extreme society in one moment. He goes, okay, you want that right now, this. And the amazing thing is that two things happen in that moment. The, the, there's the ability to do the thing he's asking in what he says. The, there's the ability to do it. That makes sense? He, he almost imparts the ability in what he speaks. It's not like, like do this, go and impress me. But he actually gives us what we need in his word. And yet, there's still a choice. This is a choice because the rich young ruler chose no. Which means that Jesus is so amazing because he goes, right, this is everything, but actually I'm so wonderful and so amazing and, I, and I've just broken into your everyday life and I've just revealed myself to you again in a new way and you've just been wowed by me, but we can still turn around and say, no. I can't do that. And he goes, okay, that's fine. You can't do that. And he doesn't love us any less. He doesn't care for us any less. He's not going to not provide for us any less. Yeah. It's not about those things anymore. It's about, God, I've seen you and I want this. And he's like, okay, then I need this. This is the thing I need. Not because I'm now testing you, but because that in you I need. Because if you don't deal with that in you, you're not going to get that thing you've, you've craved for. 
the rich and ruler wanted intimacy. He had intimacy, but he had intimacy with finance, with money. He wanted intimacy with Jesus, and there wasn't that space for both. So Jesus goes, right, you want intimacy with me? That's fantastic. I want that with you too. But you've got to get rid of this money stuff. And sometimes it only happens in radical acts. And he got, if he got rid of the money stuff, he would have had that intimacy. Not because Jesus said you can't have money, but because he's saying, look, that money's got you. It owns you. It, it holds you. And you will follow money when it comes to the crunch. When it comes to the crunch of following me or following money, you will follow money right now. And you're telling me you want to follow me, and that's fantastic. But then let's deal with this money thing right now, and that will free you to follow me. Because Jesus is responding to what he asked for. He's not imposing something on him. He's not saying, look, you've got to do this. God doesn't come to us like that much. He responds to what we say, which is why it's important we're careful what we ask for. So when he says, look, who doesn't consider the cost beforehand, he's saying, look, you asked for it, that's fine, I'll meet you on what you've asked for, but consider what you're asking for. Because, because there's a cost that's involved in that. There's something you sacrifice by asking for that. And we look at the John G. Lakes and the Amy Semple McPherson's and the, and the goodness knows who else do we kind of think is amazing or whatever they've done. But there's a cost that's come with that. There's sacrifice that's come with that. And it's probably nothing to do with the sacrifice we'll make because they'll be different because we're different people. But it's like when we catch something, he loves it. He loves the fact that I go, I want to, I want to see that God because he's like, fantastic. Let's just deal with this then. Well, let let's just lay this down then, because I I want that for you as well. But it doesn't happen when that's dealing with this part of it. We still get healed. We still get loved. We still get peace and all that kind of stuff. That's not a difference because he loves us so much. He pours that in anyway. But this is about us saying, God, I want to transform my city. I want to change the world. I want. I want to see people's lives transformed. I want to follow you. And I'm saying, okay, that's great, but then this comes with that. Um, I'm going to do two more quickly and then finish up. Okay, so just go to John 10. So first one was he meets us where we're at he breaks into where we're at and reveals himself second one is that that it costs us everything it's <laughs> a nice easy one isn't it um, costs us everything the third one is that he responds to what we ask of him and he gives us the ability to respond but it's still a choice we still choose to follow him or not and he doesn't love us any less if we don't he doesn't there for us any less if we don't because he values and respects and holds our choice so high that he goes okay you choose that that's fine you, you choose that but then that thing you asked for won't break through in the way that you want it to break through. And I'm not talking about we ask for healing and it won't come in. That's not what it is. It's that I go, God, I want, I want that in, in this city. And he goes, okay, well, that, that, that's going to cost. Um, it's important we separate the two because we sometimes go to extremes. He will always heal. He heals the ones who hate him. He loves people so much. That's not the point. This is about following him. And following into those hard places because we've caught him and want to give our lives for him and what's caught his heart, which is people. Which is what he wants. It's about loving people. Anyway, John 10, I said, didn't I? Even with a funny voice, this is... I'd happily talk about this all day. Anyway, John 10, verse... I'll, I'll go verse 1. We'll practice this quite quick. Most surely I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up another way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the, the, the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own by name and leads them out. And when he brings them out, his own sheep, he does not go, so he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, just kind of saying, same idea of following, for they know his voice yet they will by no means follow a stranger but will flee from him for they do not know the voice of a stranger the fourth thing I think it is I've lost track the fourth thing is it's intimacy it's Jesus doesn't go right follow me and I'm going to be distant he goes follow me and I'm with you it's intimacy we, we follow him because we know his voice I don't struggle with the fact when God presses in thinking oh that's not God I wish it wasn't sometimes but it's not the struggle because we know it half the time we know it's God and we just don't want it to be God sometimes mm. I, I would suggest a lot of the time we don't struggle with hearing his voice we struggle with actually thinking oh, I really don't want that to be I want that to be just my imagination or some kind of legalism in me or something like that but actually it, it's you 
and we know his voice and it's in that moment it's that intimacy because he's intimate with us he's close to us we don't follow him in in, in isolation in a place of kind of separation we, we follow him intimately it's about knowing him and knowing his voice and that, that kind of safety and security that comes from that in, in that sense he, le- he leads us into places where it, it is sometimes not safe but he is with us and that, that that's our safety because oh god what was that so it's intimacy point number four is intimacy point five you just go to John 21 and I'm not going to nick Trish's thing here I've been very careful Trish to not nick what you're going to talk about because I really really could when I was preparing I was like I want to go there and I was like I won't go there okay um, John 21 I'm just going to give a context and Trish is going to give the detail okay so this is just a context okay John 21 verse 20 Jesus just restored Peter after Peter denied him three times um, so even when we screw up, G, 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 Jesus was the one. So Peter was the one that was kind of very like, I'll follow you whatever. I'll go right to the end with you. And then didn't. Yeah. And, we're, and we do that sometimes, don't we? God, I'll do whatever. And we don't. Yeah. But he doesn't go, you said you'd do whatever and you didn't. He goes, okay, you didn't. Let's start again. Yeah. Let's go again. Let's go again. Let's go again. Let's go again. Because that's what he's like. Because he wants it. He wants everybody just to follow him. And when we don't and we mess up, because I've, I've done this, God, I'll give you anything. And he gets pressed on something, he's like, no, nah, I'm not giving you that, though. He doesn't go, I can't believe him, I'm anything to do with anymore, Steve, okay? He goes, okay, well, when you're ready, we'll go again, okay? And he comes to Peter and he restores him. He's basically, look, you, you said it, you didn't do it, but let's go again. And he says, and it's beautiful because he doesn't, it doesn't lower Peter's involvement. He doesn't say, right, you messed up there, didn't you? So I'll lower what you do now because I can't quite trust you. He, he, I, I believe he would have done exactly the same thing again. So it's not like we, we've kind of had, like, you messed up three times, so you're kind of going to be three steps lower than you should have been, okay? Mm-hmm. Brings you right back to where we were before. Like, let, let, let's go again. Anyway, that's not even my point on this. But verse 20, so that's just happened. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, following, which is John, and it's written about John anyway, anyway who, who also leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Verse 22, Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And without, this is taking so much willpower, without going into the, the contritious thing, it's personal and individual. Following Jesus is a person, an individual thing. We're in a body. I'm not knocking that we are in a body. But the way that Jesus calls me to follow him mm. is different to the way he calls Lydia to. It's different to the way he calls Jeremy to. And if I go, what about, why do I have to do this and Jeremy doesn't? Mm. Jesus goes, doesn't matter. You follow me. Yeah. The, I, the, the icy Jew laying stuff down in his life thinking, oh yeah, I could do that. I could lay that down in my life. I could follow you, Jesus. And he goes, okay. I want you to do this. I was like, that's not fair. He didn't have to do that. But he's not fair. It's not like, I'll make sure everyone does exactly the same thing because we're different, we're unique, we're individual. And therefore Jesus goes, look, it doesn't matter what's happening with him. It doesn't matter if that person there has a massive church and you're seeing thousands of people saved and we're we're not because it's not about, God, I want that. No, no, it doesn't matter. You follow me. And if me following Jesus sees one person get saved, I don't care because I'm following Jesus. I don't believe that. But the point is it's almost going, actually, I'm not following you to get that or to get that or to get that. I'm following you because I've caught a glimpse of who you are and I just want to follow you. And if it leads me to see things that people deem as successful, fantastic. But actually, that's not really the point. The point is I'm choosing to follow you. And, that, and there's those points where I go, that's not fair. Why do I have to give that up? Why do I have to lay that down? Why does it have to be me? And it's like, well, it's your call. Do you want to follow me or not? And it may be different, but then we don't know the individual struggles each of us go through, do we? Like, really, we don't, we don't know the things that, that, that are easy for me to go, that's fine. And then I look at someone and go, why can't you just do that? That's easy. Because for me, it is easy, but for them, it's not. In the same way, for them, something's easy, and for me, it's not. For me, it's like, a, it's like trying to pry a kind of chocolate bar from a kid. It's like, I don't want to let go of it. I want it. Um, and it's different for each of us. But you're saying, look, it's individual. Don't worry about him. You follow me. You follow me. 
Just do what I'm asking you to do. Just stay close to me. Stay intimate with me. Catch my heart and start to do that. You just follow me. When you mess up, come back and we'll go again. Final one. If you go to Mark 8. This kind of, we've touched on this already, but I want to just pull something out of it that kind of is a bit clearer. Mark 8, verse 34. When he had called the people, again, it's Jesus' amazing ability to thin a crowd. When he had called the people to himself, with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my word, and this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the son of man will be ashamed of blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to go to that right now, but the point is this. Take up his cross and follow me. That when we lay our lives down, when we say, Jesus, I've seen you, I've caught you, I want to follow you, and we go, yeah, I'll give it up, I'll lay it down, no matter how closely I tie to it, no matter how much it matters to me, I'll lay it down for you we're actually engaging in the divine nature. We're actually engaging in who Jesus is. Because we're going, I will give up my life for the sake of others, which is Jesus, which is the Godhead, which is the Father, which is the Son, which is the Holy Spirit. We're engaging in that thing where they go, I will give up my life for you. And they're going, I'll give up my life for you. And I give up my life for you. When we're doing it, which is why Jesus does it, he's not doing it because he wants to go, I want to be mean to you, give up what matters most, and then come follow me. That's not the point of it. He's going, look, if you want to follow me, <clears throat> to follow me is really to give up your life. That's what it is to follow me. And therefore, I want you to, if you want to do that, then this is what it looks like. And we start to engage in the divine nature. That we think sometimes... It, the divine nature is that we look wise or we look calm or we move in healing and that is all those things but the divine nature ultimately is that that, that kind of self-sacrifice is like I just give my life I pour it out I lay it down and that's the divine nature and from that place as Heidi Baker says it's laid down lovers that, that we've fallen so in love with him we just lay our lives down and it just it causes things to change. It causes our perspective on life to change. And we actually find life, which is a really bizarre thing. That we give it up and then we find it. It's like, how, how does that even make sense? Um, but it's not like I give this up and now you want to get all this stuff back. But we just, I give it up and I find in that moment, I find life again. Which is just, which is just crazy. Um, but that's because he's also at the same time going, I'm going to give my entire self for you. It's like this constant divine exchange that's going on and taking place. So one was, he breaks into where we are and we kind of grabs our attention. The second one is it costs us everything. The third one is that he, he listens to what we say and what we want and responds to that. It gives us the ability to respond to it, but also gives us the right to choose and gives us the space to choose. The fourth is that it's about intimacy it's not, not about isolation that, that when we follow him we, we follow him we're with him and that it's personal number five it, that, that it's individual to me in the sense that what, the way I follow Jesus will look differently to the way that Trish does or the way that Jude does and, and all those things that we're, we're, we're partaking in the divine nature by doing that that we're, we're laying our lives down and pouring out like this is not like we sit there and go I feel we'll probably do feel edified because we are spirit beings but it it's challenging. It rips the very core of of who we are. And that's difficult. And I stand here and go, in some ways I'm going, and I've had the thought twice as I've been speaking on this, I'm going, I really wish I wasn't speaking on this right now because I know what will happen. I know what will happen. I'll, I'll get home and there'll be a challenge and I'll be like, God, I don't want to do that. Um, and the point is it's not easy. It's not like straightforward. It's like a, it, it, it challenges. But when we lay our life down, we find him. And... I believe I believe that people who do that and do it more every day because it's not like I do it once and then that's it it's a continual daily decision that there's things that come up every day that go okay in this moment what do I do do I follow or do I not and it's a choice 
But people that do that more and more, they're the people that, that, that see a city transformed and a city transformed where, where people's lives are, are kind of brought out. It, it, it's amazing because I can't remember where it is right now, but I think it's in Matthew. But Jesus talks about laying your life down and then, then he's talk, talks about salt losing its flavour. That he says that when salt loses its flavour, it's cast out. And for me, they're connected. The when when I lay my life down, I almost demonstrate that I'm the salt of the earth. And the salt of the earth brings out flavour because salt brings out flavour. When I lay my life down, as that salt, it brings out the flavour of the city. I, it brings out the best in other people. That somehow in laying my life down, it brings out the best in people in the city. Not their worst, not the thing that makes them feel rubbish, but it brings out the best in them. Because that, that's what Jesus did. He brought out the best in people and helped them see who they really were. Even if they didn't look particularly great, he helped them see who they really were. And for me and us as a community, that's what we're called to do. To lay our lives down and see the best brought out of other people. We may never look like the best. We might not. Okay, But that's really not the point. The point is I want to get to the end of my life and go, God, look at the difference in that city because I lay my life down. It may just be between me and him. And that's fine. That's okay. But the point is, it's that kind of God. I just, I want that. That's what I'm going for. And as I lay my life down, it just pulls the best out of everyone else around me. And it just let, helps them see who they've been made to be. So, and I said all of that. The disciples, and I can't get away from this prayer. The disciples had just got into trouble for being bold. And then they went back home and they asked for more boldness. This requires boldness because there'll be points when we don't want to do it. There'll be points when we go, ah, uh-uh, not happening today. Or it'll take us like a week <laughs> to come to a decision on it, which it does me a lot of the time. Um, but it takes boldness. <clears throat> so I went, in a moment, I want us to stand there, but I want us to, to pray for boldness because I believe more and more that we're in a time where, where radical boldness is what's needed, not radical qualifications or radical kind of gifting in the sense that we think I've got to be this before I can do anything but radical boldness to say okay this is what I am this is what you told me to do I'm just going to do it but that takes boldness that takes courage that takes bravery and like I said he gives us the ability to do it now boldness is an absence of fear it's not absence of anxiety or nerves it's just the ability to go okay in spite of those things I'll do it anyway um, <clears throat> just want to stand to your feet So just in your own way, I don't mind how you do it, that's irrelevant. But I just want us to kind of ask for boldness. And it could be quietly, it could be screaming at the top of your voice. It could be on your knees, it could be lying down, it could be sitting down. It kind of is irrelevant in one sense because it's individual, isn't it? Um, But uh, if you want it, just ask for boldness because, and he'll meet you. And he'll impart it. And when we wake up tomorrow morning and go, God, I need boldness again because I'm absolutely scared witless of today. He'll meet you and he'll impart it. And in that moment where he goes, just do this. You're like, I don't want to do that. Ask for boldness. And he'll meet you and step out anyway. And in all those times, it's that that's following Jesus. It doesn't mean superstars, it doesn't mean we don't feel anything that's negative in that sense, scared or worried. It's that in spite of those things, I just choose to follow you anyway. In spite of the fact you confuse the heck out of me sometimes, Jesus, I follow you anyway. So Jesus, I thank you that you do, you stand before us always. You stand alongside us always. The Holy Spirit, you, you... are the, as I said, the experience of Jesus. You are the one that connects us. And you stand here now. And you're saying, look, follow me. Follow me. And Jesus, I thank you that we have the honour of being extended that call. To follow you. To follow you. And Jesus just asked for the boldness. As we, we now we just ask for the boldness to respond. 
the boldness to respond, the boldness to do it, even though we don't know exactly where it will take us. If it takes us to places we're offended, if it takes us to places that we're scared of, if it takes us to places that we just don't want to go, if it takes us to places that are exciting and takes us to places that are amazing, just ask for the boldness, Jesus, to respond yes. Not just respond yes now, Jesus, but to respond yes every moment of every day. Just to continue to respond yes. To continue to say yes, to continue to say absolutely, Jesus, let's go. Let's get up today and let's go. Let's wake up at the night and let's go. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just take a minute or two. I don't mind how you do it, but just whatever. It's a rubbish expression, but just do business with God, whatever that means. Thank you, Jesus. The Holy Spirit, I should just interrupt our days, our nights, interrupt that we'd see you afresh, that we see Jesus afresh. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you are good and you are kind and you are love and you bring peace that surpasses all understanding and that all those things are true and never change because you don't ever change but I thank you this journey with you is exciting but it's also dangerous that it's fun but it's not safe that we will go to places by following you that will change us and change the lives of people we, we, we see in those places and I thank you the best is yet to come for us as individuals and the community together that you're taking us places as we follow you that we dreamed of going but also perhaps places that we didn't particularly want to go but you're doing it because you love us you're doing it because you're for us you're doing it because you're good you don't ever harm us you never forsake us but you've also called us to change a city change the lives of those people that we meet every day by letting them see you thank you Jesus Amen before we go I don't know what time is before we go um, not a few minutes I just want to pray for the kids because a lot of them 